0: Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us, God, your goodness to us who don't deserve it, God, and how this grace is what saves us, God. So we thank you for our salvation, what you have put in place for us so that we may uh, be reconciled to you, God. We thank you for the shedding of your precious blood. Thank you for the plan that you had from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, God, that you put in place so that we, uh, those sinners, could be united with you, God. Pray to help us as we study your word today, God, that you would have us to know what it is you want us to know about you and that you would have us to know what it is you would want us to know about ourselves, God. And I pray that upon the hearing of your word, uh, we would live a life holy, acceptable and pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're talking about salvation. We talked about last week um, that uh, we're going to start a series on salvation. Uh, We gave the reasons why last week, so I won't get into all that. But uh, in in talking about salvation, what we looked at last week specifically was Paul talked about testing yourself or testing your faith. And so the question was, am I in the faith or am I a Christian or am I saved? And so we looked at some of the evidences Uh, what it means to be saved what it means to have salvation what does it mean to be born again what does it mean to be a follower of the way what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and so we looked at some of the um, scriptures concerning that and we talked about some of the evidence that we should have so you remember we looked at Galatians 5 and there were the uh, acts or the actions of the flesh and he said, you know, someone who has a Holy Spirit in them does not follow these actions. But as you get down to verse 20 and 22, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And so the one who is saved, one who is a believer, one who is a follower of the way, instead of following the actions of the flesh, and you can look those up, they follow the fruit of the Spirit. And so there's love and gentleness and uh, kindness and different elements, uh, virtues that are in their lives. Uh, we talked about being obedience to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So one of the things as far as a follower of God is that I obey his commands. So we looked at that. But I wanted to take some time and actually get into what salvation is. Uh, So let's get started. I like a quote from uh, our favorite friend, John MacArthur. The quote says, the Christian life is making your practice equal to your position. And I love that. The Christian life is making your practice equal to your position. So your practice has to do with what you do, your lifestyle, your habits, uh, uh, how you walk, how you talk, how you think, how you live. So making your practice match your position. So we know that the Bible talks about uh, uh, being saved and being in Christ and what that means. We went through Ephesians. So our position, once we are believers, once we are Uh, saved and redeemed and justified and being sanctified and going toward glorification, our position is already in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians that we're sitting on the right hand of Jesus in heaven, in heavenly places. And so the Christian walk is, according to John, the quote he said was making our practice equal to our position. And so when you think about it that way, am I living where I'm sitting? Because the scripture says that as a a believer, I am sitting next to Jesus in heaven, in heavenly places right now. So the question is, am I living like I'm sitting there? I you know, think about it in church when I was little. Uh, really little, I would say. Not too little. But there's a difference between I was sitting beside my mom in church versus when I was sitting not with my mom in church. Because I was sitting with her. There was a certain way I was acting and sitting. Sometimes when I wouldn't sit with her, I was with my cousins or some of my boys. Might be some talking going on. Might be some extra laughing going on. Might get called out from the pastor from the pulpit. Those things may or may not have happened. Uh, but when I'm sitting with my mom and my pops, it wasn't like that. My actions matched who I was sitting beside. And so when Paul says in Ephesians that we are sitting in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, the question is, am I lifestyle reflecting that? So because of that, the salvation, uh, um, I wanted to, to really get into what it means to be saved, what were the elements of salvation. So we're going to spend some time doing that. Um, there's a song I want everybody to learn. It's an easy song. You may know it. It goes like this. No, you can't get to heaven without salvation. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. No, you can't get to heaven without S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. So what's supposed to happen is, we sing the part together, No You Can't Get to Heaven Without. Then everyone screams, Salvation. And then we spell it, S A L V A T I O N. Then it goes, No You Can't Get to Heaven Without. Salvation. S A L V A T I O N. And then there's some other verses in that, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, looking at salvation, there are. Uh, A couple of words that people who study the Bible and really dig down deep in the Bible use to explain what we're going to do. Uh, One of the words is called um, soteriology. Soteriology. So you know what ology, what does ology mean at the end of the word? The study of. So biology is a study of life. Bio is life. So biology, study of life. Um, Psychology, the study of the psychic. So it's a mind and stuff like that. Zoology. Is the study of animals. And so physiology, yes. So uh, uh, soteriology is the study of soter. And soter is a word that means savior. And so the, the, they use the term soteriology to represent the study of salvation. And you cannot study salvation without studying the savior. And so that's how that word uh, comes across. And so we look at salvation. The cool thing about salvation, well, I don't want to reduce it by saying it's cool, But the the, the remarkable thing about salvation, what it actually is. So we have us humans, people. We have a a certain condition. uh, Thanks to our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Okay, so the Bible talks about in Romans uh, uh, how that in chapter five, how that Adam sinned. And once Adam sinned, sin and death was put on everybody. Okay, he was kind of like, I don't want to say grandfather, but he was, he was kind of like they use a term called the uh, covenantial representative of the human race. So he kind of represented us. And so once he disobeyed God, the Bible says it's sin into the world, according to Romans chapter 5. Um, and So we have that condition on us, thanks to Adam, but we also have that condition on us based on our own choices. We sin. You know, when I lie, when I cheat, or when I steal, I can't blame Adam for it. I blame Adam, for the condition, but I still have a choice when I make decisions. And so, as humans, we have this fallen human condition that we have, and the, the thing about it is, here I am in this state, Adam sinned, he brought in sin and death for the whole world. Olu sins, Olu makes choices and decisions that are opposite of God, therefore Olu is a sinner, Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fall short of God. So because of that, that's where I am. On this side of the spectrum, though, is God, and the Bible tells us that God is holy. So holy means absent from sin. And so we have us humans in our human condition, fallen state. And we, we use the term fallen to kind of represent, we say that Adam fell. That's, a, that's a, when you hear someone say we're in a fallen state, you kind of use that term that Adam fell. Uh, God made everything perfect. So Adam was with God. The Bible talked about how God walked and Adam walked together in the cool of the day. Uh, but then sin entered the world. Adam made a decision and it kind of fallen. That's the term we heard. Because of that, we are in this fallen human condition that is in hostile separation from God. And that's important to understand that it is a separation of God and the fact that God is holy in him. There is no sin. I am not holy. So there's a separation. But it's not just that. We talked about in Romans 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven unto all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so not only is it just a separation, but it's a hostile Separation. You heard the term alienation it means to alienate. It's separated, but there's some hostile separation there because of that. Okay, So I am going against God every day with my choices or my actions. And so we have that situation there. Because Adam fell, he was kicked out of the garden. He was sentenced to both spiritual and physical death. And that curse came upon all of mankind itself. And so now death and sin are unavoidable. Because of the condition I'm in, but thanks be to God Amen. and what Christ did and the work of Christ and the work of salvation did a lot of things. And we're going to spend some time getting to the deep details of what it is. But at a high level, we can say that it this condition that I am in, it reversed this condition or provided for its reversal uh, by Christ's life, his death and his resurrection from the dead. And so we talked about being hostily uh, uh, alienated or hostile separation. Well, what the work on the cross did, what salvation did, was lovingly unite us or reconcile us to God, those who believe, of course. And uh, what Christianity teaches is that Jesus Christ graciously, through his grace, through the grace of God, through the grace of Christ, and powerfully changed the situation. So that situation of alienation, the situation of hostile separation, was change due to the work of Christ and due to salvation. And so we're going to get into all of that, uh, uh, what it means, what are the details of that. Uh, We talked a little last week about the term ordo salutis. Ordo salutis is a Latin term meaning the order of salvation. So there are some elements, uh, if you will, or some, I want to say phases, uh, 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 in salvation, in this whole thing called salvation. You've heard terms, redeemed. Uh, Redemption, justification, glorification, sanctification, uh, the atonement. Uh, uh, You may have heard that term before. Um, You may have heard the term uh, 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 regeneration, Uh, confession, repentance. All these types of things uh, are part of salvation. Uh, uh, And there's a certain order that the Bible seems to teach. uh, And then people add different things, or not add to it, but Kind of tweaking and say this one might go first, this might come second, and we'll get into a little bit of that. But if we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29, turn with me there. Uh, we're going to use probably Romans as kind of the home base for this uh, series on salvation. Uh, and, you know, I tried to be unbiased in picking Romans, so I ran it past minister. Uh, and he said, yeah, that will be a good one. So it's not just because I love Romans. It's my favorite book of the entire Bible. just want to let everybody know that. So Romans chapter 8, starting at verse uh, 29 and 30. This is Paul's order of salvation. Some people may call it a Paul's or the Pauline ordo salutis, order of salvation. Uh, Romans 8, 29. Uh, let's, start with, let's start with 28. And we know that all things, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then we get to 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first. Born among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined he also called, and those he called he also justified, and those he justified he also glorified. So in those, that short portion of scripture, Paul gives us some key words um, that kind of hint us toward or lead us toward understanding what salvation. There's a word there, God foreknew. What does that mean? For no means to know beforehand. So God knew something beforehand. He also said he predestined us. What does predestined mean? Pre means, of course, before. Destined means there is a destination, if you will. So there was a destination that God foreknew and he predestined before. We'll get into that. Um, He also called as a calling. He also justified. Uh, I also like the fact they say we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the destination of this thing is to be conformed to the image of the Son. Conform means if I take a... If I have a Mickey Mouse cup that was shaped like Mickey Mouse head and I pour some juice in there, what's the juice going to look like? The shape of the juice is going to be what? Mickey Mouse. Mouse. Um, That's like a Mickey Mouse cup. That's what conform means. Conform means that you now look like the shape of. And so Paul says that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, meaning that my image, how I look, is going to be like Christ. And so to be conformed or formulated to the image of Christ. So it's like pour Olu into a Jesus cup. And Olu has taken the shape, form, actions, attitude, thoughts, actions of Christ. That's what I'm predestined to. And justified and glorified. And the sanctification is there also, because being glorified is part of a sanctification. So why do we study salvation? That's what we're going to focus on today. This is going to be kind of like a overview intro, and we'll get started a couple weeks from now. Why do we study salvation? What, what's, what's the big deal? So there are three reasons why uh, I thought we should be studying salvation. The first one has to do with the responsibility to ourselves. There's a responsibility for ourselves to study salvation. The second one is there's a responsibility to others so it's responsibilities to others, why I should study salvation. And lastly, for our responsibility to God. So responsibility to ourselves, responsibility to others, and responsibility to God. And they're not in any particular order. You can flip those if you want to. But we're going to start with our responsibility to ourselves. So turn with me to our second favorite book, Hebrews chapter 2. Your Bible should be have a natural indent in Hebrews But Hebrews chapter 2, we're talking about why do we study salvation? Well, there's a responsibility that we have for ourselves. There's a responsibility to ourselves that we have to study salvation. What is that responsibility? It's going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore, and this is what I want to focus on, so great a salvation? The writer of Hebrews says this salvation that we're talking about is so great. And so what's our responsibility? Well, our responsibility is because of the greatness of this salvation, because it's so great, we are to fully know the depth of the details or the inner workings that God has put in motion before the beginning of time. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews said it is so great a salvation. So what's so great about it? Well, we need to find out. Those words are there for a purpose. Also, not only to know that, but also to fully know the basis behind my obedience. We talked about position and practice. and So the first part, why I should know it for myself? Well, because I need to understand the depth of the details of this thing that God put in motion before the beginning of time. So that's kind of like where I am. Also, I need to know what's the basis behind my obedience. So there should be obedience because I'm saved. But What's the basis behind it? Why should I be obedient? Well, because of the salvation you have is so great. Um, I won't get into all of all of this in chapter two. But if you keep reading down, I'll I'll just skim over a bit. Uh, How should we escape if you know it's so great a salvation? This salvation. And he's going to explain a little bit, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those that heard him. God testified to us by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to Israel. We're in Hebrews chapter two. It was not to the angels, and he goes on and talks about the different things, but he gets down to um, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Still talking about the salvation. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And so we talked about suffering. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he, too, talking about Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become, watch this, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the writer goes into the details of this great salvation and he ends there talking about the atonement of the people. Let's look at those words in verse three. So great a salvation. It's interesting because that word so kind of reflects back to John 316. For God, what? So love the world. That word so is the expression of uh, 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 just depth, immeasurable depth, just deep. So you can say, you know what, I'm hungry. But then sometimes I heard Layla say, Dad, I'm so hungry. And so what that so does, it, it, it intensifies it. And so Paul said, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews, sorry, said, uh, uh, so great a salvation. So not just great, but so great. And the term, the term great there has to do with it is divine, it is free salvation, it is full, it is sufficient, it's universal, and It's everlasting. And so this salvation that's so great that Jesus came and died to be our atonement. It is our responsibility to understand how great this salvation is. And so we will study that. This salvation, uh, uh, it says, how should we escape if we ignore So we shouldn't ignore it. Why? Because the salvation result of the love of God. We've been forgiven and accepted and protected and strengthened and guided by the almighty God. Uh, It's a sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross. It's freely given. It removes God's wrath. It talks about that. The wrath of God that's upon us, all unrighteousness and godliness of men, because we're suppressing the truth with our righteousness. That wrath of God, according to the scripture, has been removed with salvation. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We have free access to the throne of grace. Writer says in Hebrews, we talked about that. We can come boldly to the throne of grace now. And we have access to all of God's promises. So this salvation is so great. What I want us to understand is it's more than just a long time ago, somebody said some words, I walked to the front of the church, or I sat down with my mom and my daddy, and I said some words, or I repeated a prayer, and bam, I'm saved. I think what we've done in modern society is we've taken the so great out of salvation. And we made it this little repeat this real quick and you're good to go. And so we got a lot of people that's walking around thinking that they are saved. And unfortunately, they're gonna find out that they aren't saved. We have a lot of people who are saved, but their salvation is not as so to them. And so it's kind of like a yeah, I'm saved, I'm going to have it. I try to do right. I try my best. And they've taken, and we've taken, in the body of Christ, I think it's our fault also. We've taken the so great out of salvation. And so what I want us to do and what we're going to do together is study this salvation to remind ourselves how so great it is. The writer said atonement. Now atonement, won't, won't get into any deep, deep, deep on it today. Though it is deep. But atonement basically is the work of Christ which brought humanity and God together. That's what atonement is. So Christ did something to bring humanity. Remember us over here? Sinful. What the, what the Bible says, uh, unguileliness and unrighteousness and worldly passions and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and God. And so that act of bringing God and humanity together is atonement in spite of man's sinfulness and God's holiness. And that in itself is great. That's so great to think about that. That a sinful, filthy, stinking man, woman, boy, girl could be brought together with a holy, infinite God. That is so great a salvation. And that's what I wanna make sure we understand and so we can live our life uh, relative to that. So the first reason of why we want to study salvation is that for our responsibility for us to ourselves. We have a responsibility to understand the depth and the details of what God put in motion of this salvation that the scripture says is so great. We want to understand that because that is the basis of my obedience. And you see we see it all through scripture. I do what I'm supposed to do because I'm saved. So what is this saved thing? What is this salvation Because now that I understand that, now I can, okay, let's go forth and do what we're supposed to do. The second reason is for our responsibility to others. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. So I'm going to study salvation, this so great salvation, because it is the basis of my life. Because it is so great, because of God, what he has done for us. The Bible says before the beginning of time. And think about that. Whenever there's a special event comes up, you prepare for it, right? You get ready for it. Someone's got ready for church a couple of hours before go. Someone get ready for a party. You know, it's a party going on. or uh, You're going to go on vacation. You start saving money. You get clothes. You prepare for it because it's special. The Bible says that God prepared for this salvation before the beginning of time. Not a week before Jesus died. You know what? I got an idea. Hey, you. Why don't you go down and die for everybody? We'll be good to go. No, the Bible says before the beginning of time, before God said, let there be light, before Genesis 1, God had a plan and he prepared this so great salvation for us. The responsibility to others. So there's a responsibility we have to others' people. Matthew chapter 28. We'll start at verse 18. I'll start at 16, just because. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. We know there's 11 disciples at this time because we're at the end of Matthew. That means that Jesus already died. Then he rose again. Judas already decided he was done with it. and He's gone. So now we have 11. And 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples in all, uh, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This portion of scripture is constantly uh, referred to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. So what is a commission? A commission is a formally A formal written mandate. A mandate is something. You will do this. Go do it. Uh, A a decree. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says blah, 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 blah. It's a decree granting power or an obligation or responsibility to do something. So it's a command to act. It's authorization to perform. Uh, 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 So I have this commission here. This formally written obligation authority to go and do something okay so in order for to have this authorization to do something there must be some authority behind it so what is the authority behind this commission well we see it in verse 18 then uh, uh, jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me So Jesus Christ has the authority. Where did he get the authority from? He got it from God the Father. So this authority from God the Father has taken his authority and given it to Jesus Christ. And so all the authority that's necessary has been given there. So this authority is there to do what? So now with the authority, what is the command? Or what is the mandate? Or what is the responsibility that we are to do? Jesus said, after he said, I got all the authority. Therefore, based on that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, obey all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so the authority is wrapped up in Christ. What is the command? The command is disciple. Now, it's interesting when you look at this in the original language, because in our Bibles, we say go and make disciples in all nations, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times we put the emphasis on go. And we say go and do what? We'll make disciples, baptize, and teaching. But when you look at an original language, the emphasis is more on not the go part, but on the disciple part. As a matter of fact, in the original grammar, there's no noun there. There is no make disciples. It's just disciple. And it's like disciples written in all caps with an exclamation mark on it. Call it an imperative verb. That means it's imperative, it's command, go do this. And so basically what Jesus said, I got all authority, and based that, I have all authority, disciple. So it didn't say make disciples, it's disciple. So that an imperative, uh, a verb tells us what to do. So it's not an outcome. For instance, if I say go build a house, I'm supposed to do what? Build, and the outcome is a house. If I say uh, go hit that ball, I'm supposed to, Hit. And what am I hitting? The ball. So you have kind of that verb uh, subject play there, noun there. There is no noun in this text. And so instead of it's not an outcome, disciples, it's the actual process. Jesus is saying disciple. Disciple. And so it's a process there, not a make disciple, but disciple. And disciple. How do I do that, Jesus? Well, he gave us three words there. Go, baptize and teaching. And so when we look at it, the Jesus said, "I got authority disciple. How do we a disciple? Go, baptize and teach." And so when we look at that word go there, that word is basically you must go. And it you look at the original, it's as you are going. And so what basically what Jesus is saying is not necessarily I need to get on a plane and go to Africa and witness to people. Yes, we should do that because all people need to know the gospel. It's not saying, you know, I need to go uh, get on a boat and go to China and start witness to people. Yes, you should. But the word here is as you are going. That means that as I am doing what I normally do. So for me, again, what do you normally do? You get up in the morning and you go to school and you go to class and you walk down the halls and you see teachers and you see other students. The Bible says that as you are going, disciple. That's what the command is. Jada gets up, does his work, goes to the basketball field, goes to the school, practices with his teammates. While you are doing that, as you are going, Christ said, because I have all authority, I am commanding you to disciple while you are going. And work and school and whatever else we do, that's what it means. So while you are going, you must disciple. Baptizing. Well, baptizing there has to do with a commitment. It's a firm commitment that I'm following Christ. When you log through the scriptures what baptism, it's is that firm commitment. I'm following Christ. And it was done initially by public affirmation of their faith in Jesus. And so disciple. How do I disciple? Well, first of all, while I'm going, while I'm doing what I normally do, I am discipling. Part of that is also impairing or, or, or putting on others, leading them to a commitment to Christ. A public affirmation. Yes, I affirm. I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm not just saying that words. I'm saying it in my actions. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to get baptized. That's what it means there. And then teaching. Teaching, of course, we know what teaching is. Teaching is, of course, imparting ideas, learning, teaching what the scripture says. And I like how he just didn't go there. He said, uh, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And so not only that is the teaching part of giving ideas or giving theology, but also living what you are teaching or living what you're being taught. So it has to do with the modeling of that. That's what it means to disciple. And so my responsibility to understand this is God told me to disciple while I'm going to baptize and to teach. What? What? This so great salvation that is the basis for discipling, and so I need to understand what this thing is that I'm supposed to be discipling, and so I need to take time and understand that. I like that last part in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What I like about that is how do we, how does this commission start? It start with Jesus saying, I have all the authority, so go and do this. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be with you. So it's not just I'm out there, I got a disciple. While I'm going, I got a disciple. I'm out here all alone. I got to baptize, okay? I got to get people to confirm their faith. I got to people to affirm uh, uh, followers of Christ. I got to teach. Jesus said, you're not out there by yourself. I am with you always. And remember, I have all the authority. I got it all. And so I now can go in power and in faith with the backing from the authority, from the supreme ruler of all the world. Now I can go and disciple. I can go and disciple. So that's why I need to understand what this salvation is. This is so great a salvation because I have a responsibility to disciple as I am going. By the way, this isn't just written to pastors or preachers. Jesus was talking to his followers, his disciples. So that's my responsibility to do that. And lastly, our responsibility to God. So we have responsibility to ourselves. So great a salvation. What does that mean? Why, why is it so great? We have responsibility to others. God said, Jesus said, I have, God has given me all authority. And so I am commanding you. Disciple. Disciple. How do I do that? Well, While you're going, baptizing, getting firm commitments to people to be followers of Christ and teaching, teaching what the word says, teaching what the Bible says and living what you are either teaching or living what you have been taught. A consistent modeling there. And he wrapped it up with, Lord, I'm with you always. Um, Real quick, before we go to that third one, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, let's turn there. Like I said, Romans is going to be kind of the basis for where we are. So Romans 10, 13, still talking about my responsibility to others. And uh, this is part of our Romans role. So some of you may know this or are currently learning it. (laughs) Paul says for everyone, verse 10, i mean chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then, Paul asks the question, can they call? On one they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so my responsibility is to others. Salvation comes first after you call. And Paul says, how can they call unless they believe, or have faith. And how can they have faith? Unless they hear. And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless they be sent? So we have been sent. We have the Great Commission. We have the authority. We have that paper, that mandate that says, go and disciples. And so because I go and preach what salvation is, what the word of God says, then people who are unsaved can hear it. And upon hearing, they can have faith and believe. And upon believing, they will call upon the name of the Lord, and they shall be saved. So it's my responsibility to do that. Okay, so finally, our responsibility is to God. Turn with me to our first favorite book, Ephesians chapter 4. Our responsibility to God. So great a salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And I don't have to spend a lot of time with the background in this because we remember it. But Paul, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, gave us the doctrine, what we have in Christ. And in chapter three, he talks about, I'm sorry, in chapter two, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not even works. It is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so in Ephesians chapter four, Paul uh, goes and he says, "Okay, based on all that, as prisoner for the Lord, then, or therefore, your Bibles may say, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I have a responsibility to God now based on this so great salvation. My responsibility is to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. A walk worthy of the calling. The walk that has to do with our daily conduct. My behavior, my habits, my lifestyle. So what I do every day, my habits that I have, my lifestyle, my walk should be worthy of the calling. What does worthy mean? We talked about that. That word literally means uh, um, to bring up the other part of the scale. That's what it means. And we talked about that. Uh, help me out, Jaden. Get some books here real quick. Take them books and also. And so what happens is we have on one part of the scale, pretend I'm a scale, put a book on my hand. And so we have, uh, just one book. So we have God's goodness toward us. And then we have, give me another one, God's grace toward us. And then we have, give me another one, we have uh, so great a salvation. And then we have uh, 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 the, the mercy that God has given us. And then we have all the promises of God, all the salvation we talked about, the grace and the salvation and the faith that's free. So Paul says, because of all this we have, we should walk worthy. Worthy means that, I need to balance out the scale. So if this side is everything that God has done for me, this oh so great salvation, and this side is how I walk or how I live or my lifestyle, the word worthy means let my life balance out to the calling. And so my walk, my lifestyle, thank you, sir, my walk or my lifestyle should be worthy, meaning it should balance out the scale of all that God has done for me. It should weigh as much of. Weigh as much as. And so my responsibility to God is to walk, to live worthy of the calling that I have. And what do we mean by that, Paul? Verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Because of this so great salvation. My responsibility to God is to live a life worthy, live a life that's heavy so that when I balance it out with all that God God has done for me, there's a good balance there. And so I should live in humility. That means hold myself in the right perspective with God. So Paul says uh, in Philippians that I should live a life that's humble, a humble life. I should be in the right perspective of God. In gentleness. That means that my accomplishments should be in the right perspective with God. Patience means that my rights of comfort and ease should be in the right perspective with God. And then tolerance that's holding my emotions in the right perspective with God. So myself in the right perspective, my accomplishment in the right perspective, my right for comfort and ease in the right perspective, and my emotions in the right perspective. Paul said, Walk worthy of the calling that you have because the salvation is so great so that's what we're going to be looking at the next uh, a few weeks our responsibility to ourselves because the salvation is so great responsibility to others we have been commissioned by he who has all authority not only commissioned by him to do this but he promises that he would be with us as we do it and so go disciple And then finally, we have responsibility to God to walk or live a life worthy of this great, so great salvation that we have. And so as we uh, leave today, let's look for opportunities this week to do each one of these things. Look for opportunities this week to disciple. Look for opportunities this week to live a life and walk and make those decisions that are worthy. So as a decision comes up, should I do that or should I do this? Take your scale out. Put on the one side all that the Bible says God has done for us. And then put your decision on that. one. Should I do this? And if it balance out, cool. But if the, tail, if the scale don't tilt and what the decision you make does nothing to the gravity of everything that God done for us. That's a good good idea to say, well, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should not make that choice. And if we live a life, we will walk uh, holy and acceptable unto God. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your salvation. We pray, God, that you will be with us as we begin this study and understand how so great your salvation is, God. And as we understand the greatness or the gravity of this salvation, God, I pray that you will help us understand for ourselves our responsibility based on that. I pray that you'll help us understand our responsibility to others, God, and to disciple and to preach the word and to teach the word so that they can hear, so they can have faith and believe and call and be saved. And then our responsibility to you, God, that we will walk or live a lifestyle that matches, that's weighty, all that you've done for us, God, that's worthy of our salvation. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. any